Let's go in our Bibles to Acts chapter number 26 tonight. Acts chapter number 26, if you would please, as you stand in honor of God's Word. Acts 26. We uh, covered Acts 26 last Sunday night in its entirety, and obviously with 32 verses, then that was a very quick survey. And so I'd like to zero in on a few verses from Acts chapter 26 that I believe would merit our attention here tonight. And so Acts 26, this is Paul giving his testimony before Agrippa, King Agrippa. And he's really focused on how that Christ had commissioned him to take the gospel into all the earth. And so I'm going to begin reading verse number 19. So Acts 26 and verse number 19. Having explained what uh, Jesus said to him, then Paul said this, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles. Do you get the feel for that? He said, I began at Damascus and then at Jerusalem, and then throughout the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles. So it was moving. There was mo momentum with the gospel. That they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Now, obviously, Paul's not saying a work salvation. That's not it at all. But if you are saved, you will work. That's what he's saying. So, verse 21, For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to the small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. So Paul says, I want to go back and read a portion of verse number 22. He says, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to the small and to the great. He says, I've had this momentum and here's how I've had it, the help of God, the help of God. I want to focus on that tonight. Festus thought he had lost his mind. Agrippa said, I've heard enough. But Paul said, I've got to keep telling it because it's right. It's true. So tonight, would you consider maintaining momentum in the mission? Maintaining momentum in the mission. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We'll get into the message here tonight. <clears throat> Those of you who have been here a number of years would remember about four years ago, obviously we went through the pastoral transition, and Brother Davison preached a message called, A Man of God on a Mission. Now, many of you would remember that, A Man of God on a Mission. It was out of 1 Kings chapter 13, about the unnamed man of God that stood and cried against the altar. If you remember that, as Jeroboam had his whole brand new praise and worship team together, and he was about to offer sacrifice at his new place of worship. I mean, it was, a, it was a banner day for Jeroboam until a man of God showed up on the scene and just spoiled all his fun. And he cried against the altar and cried out, Oh, altar, oh, altar. And he prophesied that day that, that uh, 
the prophets that were burning incense upon the altar that day, that someday their bones would be burned there. And so Brother Davison focused on the role of a man of God, a man of God, one that's owned by God, not owned by somebody else. God's man, a man who is occupied with God, who occupies himself with God so that he might be able to come and tell the people of God what God said. So a man of God on a mission. And he gave these points. I'm not going to spend our time here tonight, but it's worth our reminding. In fact, in fact tonight's message really is, is largely that, and I'll explain that a little bit more here in just a minute, but a reminder to our church about the mission that I believe God has us on. But he said that a, a man of God on a mission is one, one of them. He was one of the people, but he was not of them. He was not participating in their ways. In many ways, he was a lone voice against the, against the ways of compromise in their society. He was hated. You know, as Jeroboam said, seize that man. And as he stretched out his hand and pointed at the man of God, that's when his hand withered up with leprosy. And then he said, man of God, would you please pray for me? So <laughs> he was a man who was hated and seized that man. And then he said, please pray, put me on your prayer list. You know, so he's hated and sought both at the same time. And then his final point was this, is that in the process of time, a man of God's message will be vindicated because it's God's message. It'll prove to be true. But then he asked this question, what good is a man of God if he's left his mission? What good is a man of God if he's left his mission? And you remember there where, where the man of God uh, did not do exactly what God said to do, and as a result of that, then he was attacked by a lion and eaten. It's a terrible, tragic story in its ending. So after that, you might remember, uh, one of the first sermons I preached here as pastor was this people of God on a mission or the members on a mission, talking about our church, how that together, collectively. In fact, this really fits well with what I taught in Sunday school this morning, how that we are to be striving together for the faith of the gospel. Members on a mission. If we are members on a mission, if this church is on a mission from God, then this church, as, as you are people of this church, the people of God, we are one of the people that live in Oklahoma City. We are one of them, but we are not of them. We're called out. That's what the word church means, of course. A called out assembly of believers. One of them, but not of them. We are a, maybe in many ways in other churches here that are of like faith, a lone voice against the, against the slide of compromise. Hated and sought at the same time. And in the process of time, as the Word of God is preached and taught, then the Word of God to this very day is vindicated because it is indeed the Word of God. But I want to ask you this question tonight as we considered even four years ago, what good is a church if it's left its mission? What good is a church if it's left its mission. Do we not read in the book of Revelation how that Jesus rebuked uh, churches of that day and time in Asia Minor and said that if you do not repent and return to the first works, then I'll remove your candlestick. I'll remove your influence. In other words, it's basically like Jesus, Jesus is saying, what good is a church if it's not fulfilling its God-given mission? And so we considered that as a church, we must be passionate about that which Jesus is passionate we must be persistent in that which Jesus would have us to be persistent, which would also be what Jesus is persistent in. And we must participate with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so 
we uh, considered that to be the Great Commission. And that Great Commission is Jesus' passion. And that is what he's persisted in and what he would have us to participate with, in, with him. So last week, last Sunday night, we considered this. His commission is our mission. Borrow the title from Brother Rick McQueen. Appreciate that. He didn't even charge me. His commission is our mission. His commission is our mission. I want to ask you tonight as we get started, is the mission of your life the commission of your Savior? Is the mission of your life the commission of your Savior? You ever play those matching games with your little kids, you know, and where you're drawing a line between things that match? So if we had on one side your life mission, and over here we had the great commission of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, would people be able to say, by the way that you're living, that his life or her life mission is matching up with the Jesus commission? I hope that there would be a line that could be drawn for every believer, because that is what God wants of every one of us, of every believer, to be living your life for Jesus' commission. The gospel began to gain momentum under the, under the hand of God in the life of Paul. It gained momentum. It went from east to west, from town to town, from person to person. The word momentum means this, the power to increase or develop in speed as it, as it moves or it gains pace, goes in, grows in pace. The forward movement, movement rather of an object. We might talk about a sports team, how that now the momentum has shifted and now this team is gaining momentum. And, and um, you know, especially this would be true in, in real, really sports at large, but you think about maybe basketball and how that, how that I've heard some say it's a game of runs. In other words, a team will go on a run and then maybe it'll wane and the other team will go on a run. And it's a game of run. It's back and forth. It's really about momentum and how it's going. I'm, I'm thankful for this, that momentum of the gospel was evident in Paul's life. We read about it there in verse number 20, how that he went from Damascus to Jerusalem to the coast of Judea uh, to the Gentiles. It was gaining momentum. It was moving. There were those who wanted to stop the forward progress of the gospel, but it went further and further. The light went further and further in the darkness because there was a man who was sold out to God. And I just want to remind us tonight as those who God has appointed in this region of Oklahoma City and this surrounding area that, that we and other churches that are like faith, that are Baptist churches preaching the word of God and such that we've been given the commission to take the gospel to this area. And I want to thank God for the momentum that is taking place here. Never, never should we grow complacent with where we are and think, well, we're doing pretty good. No, but we ought to always want to see it go further. This morning, uh, some of the men in our Sunday school class, they were just giving thanks for, uh, for God's work in the bus ministry. I, I was looking at things uh, here recently regarding the bus ministry, and, and their comments matches up with my thoughts about it, that, that this summer, uh, you know, a lot of times in the bus ministry, things kind of wane. You know, because people are on trips and everything. But instead of waning, I think, as they said this morning, we kind of had a bumper summer. You know what a bumper crop is? You have a good amount coming. Well, in large ways, this summer was a bumper summer. I mean, we didn't have the normal lull, but rather that it stayed steady and we've had adults coming. 
in our church services and even in the night services, and that's directly related to the bus ministry. Brother Davidson was able to lead a man to Christ on Tuesday night, and, and the man's sisters ride the buses. So whether they come directly through the bus ministry or even as a result of or somehow connected, listen, the gospel ministry through the bus ministry and also through just the simple outreach ministry is making a difference. I want to thank God for that. I think there's some momentum going there. I'm not, in other words, I'm not preaching this tonight because I, I believe that we're in a sad state and uh, just a pathetic situation. No, not that at all. But if we're going to continue to keep and maintain that momentum and the gospel is going to go further, we just need to keep doing what Jesus said to do. The mission of Southwest Baptist Church is to honor God and help people by going across the street and around the world with the gospel. How many of you heard that before? I hope a few of you would say, yeah, I think I've, I've heard that somewhere. Good, okay. The mission of Southwest Baptist Church, derived, of course, from the Great Commission, but the mission of Southwest Baptist Church is to, first of all, do this, honor God. We've got to please Him in everything that we do, to honor God and then to be a help to people by going across the street and around the world with the gospel. And so you break that down. Here's what we're striving to do. Honoring God through our church services. Seeing people come to a church service that they might understand what it means to honor God and who God is. Once they come to a church service, really trying to make the effort to reach out to them. Anybody listen to this here tonight? Reaching out to them to try to encourage them to come to one of the Sunday school classes. The Sunday school class is so very vitally important. And then once in a class to see them growing, of course, the effort to see them saved, baptized, growing there through that Bible class, that Sunday school class, but then also to see them engaged, involved in ministry. And having been involved in ministry, to see them have a heart for missions. We use the uh, acronym around here. This is good. We have a lot of new uh, guests or a lot of new members rather here and going to have a new members class here in the near future, but uh, just to help get everyone oriented. But we use an acronym here, the, the acronym GEMS, G-E-M-S, meaning this, seeing people come as a guest to see them get enrolled in Sunday school so that they might be involved in ministry as a member of the church and then they be a servant that has a real heart for missions. It's the progress. So many of you have been through that process. Many of you came as a guest. You got enrolled in a Sunday school. You got involved in ministry. Now you hopefully have a heart for world missions. Yeah. Question. How do we maintain momentum in that? Isn't it exciting at the very beginning of something new? I mean, you get all fired up about it. And, uh, and everybody gets involved. But how do you maintain momentum over time? That's what we're going to see tonight in the life of Paul. How he said, you know, what I began doing in the beginning is what I'm still doing today. But let me testify, it's not me. I had help. I received help from, the, from God himself. Number one, I want you to think about this here with me tonight. Paul maintained momentum in the mission because he was passionate in soul winning. He was passionate and soul winning. You know why we was passionate in soul winning? Do you, by the way, do you pick up from these verses? I'm, I am using something that we've used in looking at the life of Paul here, uh, you know, in, in consideration of where we are. But would you say from this text that there's evidence here that Paul was most definitely passionate in soul winning? When he said uh, that I was not disobedient to the heavenly mission, in other words, what he was saying is I put my whole heart into it. I put my heart and my passion into it. You know why I was passionate? about leading people to Christ? 
He was passionate about Christ. And when you're passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be passionate about people knowing him. And thus he was a passionate in his role as a witness. He took soul winning very seriously. He was not, listen, he was not selective in his soul winning. He witnessed to both the small and the great. We cannot be selective in our soul winning. We just have to go to every single person that God puts in our way, in our path. I like this about his soul winning. His soul winning was biblical. He said, I've said none other things but that which Moses and the prophets said that should come. He, in other words, he used the word of God in his soul winning. Not novel idea, right? No, we ought to use the word of God. And let's, let's do this because I believe Paul manifests this. I believe he exemplifies this for us. He was careful in his soul winning. He wasn't, just, he wasn't out in any way just to get as many numbers as he could. Did you hear what I said? He wasn't out to do that. He was out to be very thorough in his explanation as to who Jesus was, even if it took many days or many opportunities for somebody to hear. The worst thing that we could do is just to go through a very, very quick, brief presentation of the gospel and say, okay, now repeat after me. That'd be detrimental to a person if they truly did not understand. Now, if they'd been under conviction, there's evidence there, of course, that, that they understood the gospel. And the gospel's not complicated, but I believe you need to bear in mind, a lot of people are hearing this for the very first time. I asked a lady on Tuesday night, I said, has anybody ever shared with you the gospel? She's maybe in her 20s or 30s, somewhere right in there. She said, no. And began to share the gospel with her. Well, I didn't go ahead and just lead her to, to pray at that point. Because this was, according to her, the very first time that she's hearing it. Now, could she have understood it? Most definitely. But there was also kids involved in the situation, a little bit distracting. My wife was doing a good job of being the silent partner and keeping kids, you know, uh, uh, entertained there and such as that. It just wasn't the, the setting where you could go ahead and lead somebody to Christ. But listen, here's what we've got to do. We've got to use the Word of God, be very, very thorough, be very, very patient to help people come along so that they understand. And, the, and then, of course, it's not our work, by the way, to get them saved. It is God's work to bring them to salvation. We share the gospel. That's what Paul did. He was, he was very careful in his presentation of the gospel. Let me ask you something tonight. Are you passionate? Well, all of us are passionate about something, aren't we? To have fervor, excitement, enthusiasm zeal in what do you delight what brings you great joy you know we can be passionate about a lot of things shopping I said I said we but I didn't mean we but <laughs> some could get excited about shopping while we were doing our planning time as far as the church staff there and Branson the ladies were quite excited to be able to go out and shop. Uh, the men, they were thrilled about sitting down and going through the calendar. <laughs> okay, maybe not the right word to use there, but that can be a grueling work. But listen, you know, you have passion about something that's what you want to do. Yeah. Paul was passionate about soul winning. I would testify that there have been times when in my life I've been passionate about soul winning and other times when I was not. Anybody else here like that? I believe we all have those times. 
Right after I was saved, I had a real burden for a young man named Doug Cowan. I was saved when I was about in the third grade, and I remember standing in the hallway at Warren Elementary School and talking to him about hell and about that if he was not saved. Now, I didn't know exactly how to explain to him how to be saved, but I told him if he wasn't saved, he wasn't going to heaven. Now, I had zeal. I didn't have knowledge. I said, now, did I need knowledge? Yes, but I didn't need to lose my zeal. I need to have both. But I'm, I'm sad to say that from the fifth grade until about the ninth grade, I did not even make an effort to try to bring somebody to church or to Christ. But then as God got my attention, long about the 10th grade, and I began to, to come to a place where I was not just simply attending church services, but I was gaining a real love for the Lord of those church services, it's like God set me on a mission. I started knocking doors, going out after, after school on uh, Monday through Friday as much as I could, working a bus route that was real close to the school where I went to school, knocking doors at trailer parks. And, and then I had a burden and for my uh, countryside living where I lived out in the country because I thought, you know, I've not had anybody come by my house except for Jehovah's Witnesses. So I started riding a bike. You say, that's kind of weird. I did. I rode a bike and I went house to house. I didn't wear a tie and a white shirt, but I rode a bike <laughs> and I went house to house, knocking on country doors. Every now and then, that's a little scary in Kentucky, <laughs> going down some long driveway. But, you know, it's just God gave me a burden and a passion for it to talk to people about the Lord. During the college years, working bus ministry and being there in Springfield and talking to people um, on a street that's called Commercial Street and, and some homeless individuals and people. I think I told you one time I learned how to come to Oklahoma City by train from a guy that was a homeless guy. He said, now, if the train's headed on this track, it's going towards Oklahoma City. If it's going that way, then it's going this way. I thought, well, what do I need to know that for, you know? Engine Joe was his name. I'll never forget him. Yep. Going to Republic and being a part of what we called, Brother Copes called uh, CPR. Everything had an acronym around there. And uh, it was CPR, it was this, campaign to permeate Republic. We divided that town of 8,400 people into four quadrants. And every quadrant had a team leader. And I, and I tell you, we had a good percentage of the church that came out and went door knocking on those times. It was a joyful time seeing people come to the Lord. And then, of course, moving here to Southwest Baptist Church, a soul-winning church, and one that cares about people and loves souls. I'm telling you, it's, it's just a blessing. But here's what I can attest to, and I'm sure others that could give a similar testimony would say this, that my passion for souls has been up at times, and it's been down. It's been up, and it's been down. What's the common denominator? Well, when my passion for the Lord is up, and my heart is right with God, my passion for souls is up. And when I've got away from the Lord, my passion for souls is down. Does that make sense to anybody? Is that a correlation perhaps in your life as well? This really makes sense because Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to become what? Fishers of men. That's what Jesus said. Did you notice that Jesus did not say, follow me and I will make you great preachers? He did not say, follow me and I will make you great biblical counselors. He did not say, follow me and I'll make you renowned theologians or church growth experts. He did not say, follow me and I'll make you entertainers. 
He did not say, follow me and I'll make you administrators. He did not say, follow me and I'll make you faithful church members who never miss any church services. No, he, I mean, that can all be a part of it. But Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. So if I'm not being a fisher of men, I must not be following Jesus. Is that right? If I am fishing for men, I must be following Jesus. But if I'm not fishing for men, I must not be following Jesus because of what he said. Do you have a passion for souls? See, if we have a passion for the Lord, you have a passion for souls, you maintain momentum with the gospel. But if your passion wanes for the Lord, then it'll wane for souls and you begin, we begin to lose momentum for the gospel and we become a museum. Number two, Paul maintained momentum in the mission because he was persistent in discipleship. Persistent in discipleship. Paul understood this. Salvation is just the beginning. Just the beginning. He said, I want you to look at it again, that they should repent and turn to God. That's salvation. And do works meet for repentance. That's discipleship. That's the results of discipleship. That's the evidence of somebody who has taken root in Christ. Those who take root in Christ bear fruit for Christ. Let me run that by you one more time. Those who take root in Christ bear fruit for Christ. There's spiritual fruit that follows. In fact, I'm, I'm gravely concerned about someone who says, yes, I'm saved, but their life never shows it. Because if Jesus has moved into that life, then there should be a difference, a notable difference that has been made. A change of mind should most definitely result in a change of directions. And Paul understood that this had to come by way of persistence on the part of those that would do discipleship, that would try to help people to grow. And thus he faced opposition, but he said, I just kept going. Persistent. I love the word. It means to be tenacious. It means to be unrelenting, unrelenting, constant, determined, relentless in that sense, lasting, remaining, enduring. The opposite of that would be this, feeble, and fleeting, just giving it attention for a little while. See, here, here's a possible problem we could run into. On one hand, we could get all fired up about seeing people saved, and that's exciting. On the other hand, we could say, well, we really need to be, help people to grow in Christ and get excited about people growing in Christ. But listen, it's not an either-or situation. It's a both-and. We've got to be passionate about bringing people to Christ, but as equally passionate about seeing them grow. If we lead somebody to Christ at the door, we lead somebody to Christ here through our church services, we, don't, we are not suddenly finished with them, but rather that begins a whole new set of work to see them grow in Christ and to be persistent in that until they become just like Christ. What we've got to do is make sure that we are not a program-driven church, but rather a people-centered church in the sense that we are God-centered first, of course, but then not, not our, we're not trying to run programs here, but we're trying to build people's lives. Does everybody get that? That's quite a shift because we can have a lot of programs. Let's see, watch, watch, watch what can happen here. The choir ministry can become a program. 
The deaf ministry can become a program in and of itself. The bus ministry, we've got this program. We have a youth program. We have this program, all the programs. Wait a minute, we can miss it, miss it, miss it if we're just here to run programs. We're not here to run programs. We're here to lead people to Christ and to lead people to become like Christ. Those programs can help people do that, but let's not lose focus. We are here to build character. We are here to, not to be concerned about quantity, but about the quality of a person's life. We're not here to have feel-good activities, but rather to have a commitment to personal growth. This is an exciting time. It's an exciting time in which to minister right here in this area. You know why? Because I believe people are looking for answers. People are looking for relationships, for meaning in life. Where else would they find that except in a Bible preaching church that sincerely and passionately loves the Lord and loves people? And I'm so thankful that when people come here, they say, you know, something's different about this church. How does that come? That comes by us maintaining momentum in the gospel ministry. See, discipleship doesn't take place just in a 13-week time period. It's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process. Your parenting is discipleship. Marriage is discipleship. Christian schools, discipleship. Sunday school, discipleship. Bus ministry, sitting in the, in the seat beside somebody on the bus, that's discipleship. What we're doing right now, discipleship. Yep. Life is about it. Number three, Paul maintained momentum in the mission because he was participating in ministry. Passionate about soul winning, per persistent in discipleship, and then he participated in ministry. With whom was he participating? Well, look at, again at verse number 22. Having therefore obtained help of God. He participated with God. Having obtained, that means he experienced help with God. That help there is only used, that word, by the way, is only used once, this particular Greek word, only used once, and it's used, of course, right here, to talk about the aid of an ally. Having received help of God. See, not only was Jesus giving Paul a commission, Jesus was doing that commission with Paul, through Paul. He was participating with God's plan for the ages. He was participating in ministry in many different ways. I got to thinking about it as Paul did ministry. He ministered in Jewish synagogues. He ministered in the hill country of Lystra and Derby and other places like that. He ministered in the prison ministry. He did pastoral ministry, leadership training, relief efforts, writing ministry. See, along the way, his ministry took many different shapes. And along the way here at Southwest Baptist Church, at times you may have been in the children's ministry, but now you're in adult Sunday school class, or you may have been in the bus ministry, now you're in the choir. Listen, that's fine. The rotation is fine. The main thing is serve. Get involved. There's plenty to do. Some of you might look at the church and say, well, it looks like all the bases are covered. No, wait a minute. There's always work to do here and always opportunity and ways in which you can be involved. The church that works together in unity, the church rather works together in unity when the members take their place in ministry. Do you have a place where you're participating, being involved? Listen to these areas. And I want to thank God for everyone that's involved in these areas. Hospitality. 
Thank God for those that are greeting people at the door. You know, that makes such a big difference with people that are coming here for the very first time that already they're greedy before they ever come to the church building. You know what? I believe most people make a determination about whether they're coming back or not sometimes when they're in the parking lot. Those that are in the hospitality ministry, the parking lot ministry. I want to thank God for those that are involved there, running the golf carts around and doing a good job and being very safe with it. Not bringing people in on two wheels, but bringing them in safely, but bringing them in with a smile and serving them. It's wonderful. The host ministry, we just started that. And as uh, people come in, not just pointing them and showing them where to go in our church building, but taking them there, taking them there. That makes such an impression. Retirement center ministry. Many of you involved in the retirement center ministry, but quite honestly, there's a need there. We go to three different retirement centers on Thursday night and one on Sunday afternoons. And so there's need in the retirement center ministry, a great opportunity there to love uh, the saints of God. Many of them have been serving the Lord many years and you could be involved in retirement center, retirement center ministry. Sunday school, junior church. The Lord knows we need help there. Junior church, bus ministry, drivers, runners, workers in a bus ministry, children's ministry, VBS, of course, as we've had, thank God for that this summer, but Patch and Pee Wee and Neighborhood Bible Time. And that's where we go out and uh, set up in a park and invite kids to come and run a bus route for kids to come and families to come. It's a great opportunity. Maybe this fall you could get involved with Neighborhood Bible Time. Avoid the mentality, well, that's for students to do. No, that's for our church. It's a church ministry. See, we lose momentum if we have the wrong ideas and we slack off. Sign language ministry. I want to thank God uh, for our sign language ministry. I I don't know sign language. I wish that I did. I know how to spell my name and no other letters. I can read as somebody is uh, signing their name, but thank God for the sign language ministry and everybody that's involved there. How about we thank God tonight for those involved in the nursery? This would be a different service if we had babies in here. (laughs) Telling you, thank God for the nursery ministry. We always need help in the nursery. The bookstore, I want to thank God for our bookstore. There's so much work that goes on there week by week and an opportunity and ways that people serve in a rotating basis. Visitation ministry, hospital ministry. We have folks that go out even on Tuesday mornings that visit uh, retirement homes or, or nursing homes or hospitals card writing ministry. Some of you do that on your own and it's wonderful. It makes a huge difference. The ladies ministry, lift. And uh, that's tomorrow night in case you didn't get it from the video. But the ladies ministry, what a blessing it is. Sure uh, love what goes on there from what I hear. (laughs) The ladies retreat and other special events. Uh, You're a lady here, then it's a great way to make connections just being involved with the ladies. Men's ministry in form of the men's advance and Uh, Just say a word about our Sunday morning men's prayer meeting. I'm telling you, that's a way that you can help your church to keep the momentum going is by praying for your church. And a good number of men come out. And it's really a blessing to be able to kneel down beside another man and pray with him and, and to pray for him and him to pray for you. It's really a blessing. And the mentoring that takes place between men here. I want to thank God for our ushers. They do a lot of work behind the scenes. And uh, maybe do not get a lot of recognition. But they make, men, you make a big difference in serving the Lord. It's, it's a real blessing. Our seating ushers, helping people find a seat. It's a blessing. 
They wear the special earpieces, you know what I mean? They're like the secret service here at Southwest Baptist Church. Soul winning ministry, discipleship ministry, some discipling people one-on-one. -on -one. We just developed, Brother uh, David Perkles developed material out of 1 Thessalonians about that we will use to use in a discipleship setting of one-on-one. -on -one. Missions. So many areas of that. Our music ministry. I want to thank God for our choir and special music individuals and the piano, the instrumentalist and, and other groups. And uh, my, we're blessed by that. See, what, what that does, there's a lot of moving parts to this, and I'm not through my list yet. But as everybody does their part, the church moves forward. Youth ministry, cleaning ministry, security ministry, and on and on we could go. I just listed a few and... And uh, there's so many areas that God has placed. I want to ask you tonight, are you involved in one of those ministries? Are you involved? I believe we all ought to have just that servant spirit. One of the things I talked to the staff about was, was this, be the first and the last. Be the first two and then be the last two. We came up with a big old list of things. Be the first to smile and talk to people. Be the first to uh, go to somebody that's sitting by themselves and talk to them. Be the last person to pass by on the other side. You get it? Be the first to. Well, I say to you as our church family, have that same mentality, of course. Be the first to put yourself last and be the last to put yourself first. Do you want to see an increase in the momentum of the gospel moving forward? If so, I want to ask you this question. How's the momentum in your life, in your personal life? Do you have a zeal for the Lord and winning people to the Lord? I want to um, read something to you here tonight, if I may, just very briefly. I shared it um, with our staff and just let them read it on their own and some of them may not have even had time to do so. I read this not long ago. It's out of a chapter by Carrie Smith and I'm not going to read all of the chapter of course but just hit some high points but I believe it really does connect with what we're talking about here tonight. Carrie Smith wrote a book called um, um, Passionate Parenting. Thank you Brother John and my wife. Passionate Parenting and uh, the passion that's involved in raising teenagers. But he has a chapter called this, The Partnering Parent, and the subtitle is this, A Tale of Three Lost Boys and a Local Church. A Tale of Three Lost Boys and a Local Church. Ready? Opening scene. An unsaved young family of five is running late to church on a Sunday morning. Three boys, three lost, long-haired little boys all younger than seven years old, sit quietly in the back seat of the car while a frustra frustrated mom and dad debate over why they are late. Has anybody else been there? Okay, you don't, you don't have to raise your hand. The scene is a little picture of their lives, two frustrated adults groping for truth and direction, fighting for a young marriage and children, and three boys romping through childhood, unaware of how desperately their family needs a miracle unaware of how desperately their family needs Jesus. Until recently, this family has rarely attended church, but they are looking for something, grasping for hope, and they hope that church will lead them to help. Scene two. Moments later, 
out of exasperation, Dad, Dad whips the car into the driveway of the closest church, which happened to be an immediate left. Fine then, he says, we'll just go here. Here could have been anywhere. But for the divine providence of God, here happened to be a healthy, local, independent Baptist church, a Bible-believing church. And while mom and dad are still fussing at each other, the three boys bound into the, into the lobby and down the center aisle into a seat close to the front. They're tired of sitting in the back of churches where they've recently visited. Congregational singing is in, the pro, in process. As dad and mom arrive at the door, they are immediately appalled to see that their boys have gone all the way down to the front and they have to go and retrieve them. A discerning Christian quickly vacates her second row seat for the visiting family, and seconds later, all five are aligned and alert in spitting distance of the pulpit. Mom and dad are embarrassed, but the boys are just as glad, are, are glad just to have a good view. Scene three, a strong biblical message has been preached by a spirit-filled preacher. God's word has been spoken loudly, clearly, and his spirit is working powerfully in the hearts of two parents on the second row. Moments later, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. An invitation song is being sung. Three lost little long-haired boys stand quietly, wide-eyed and alone on the second row. Dad and mom have tearfully stepped out to speak with the pastor. They are taken to a room with a counselor where dad recommits his life to Jesus and mom accepts him as her savior. The three boys are waiting with an elderly lady on the second row who graciously gives them candy and tells them, mom and daddy will be back in just a moment. But the boys are in no hurry because after all, they're eating candy. They now love this church and this lady. <laughs> they are committed for life. Fast forward five days. The young family has now attended six nights of church in a row due to the fact that this Sunday morning began a revival meeting. And the boys wanted to return every night to hear the children's stories. It's now Friday night. The oldest boy has trusted Christ as his Savior. The two younger will soon follow. And every night of the week, this searching young family has been welcomed, loved, and nurtured in something foreign to their home, the love of Jesus. Amen. The love of Jesus Christ in a local church filled with gracious, genuine people. Scene four. Six months later, Life for this young family has changed dramatically, radically, by the power of the grace of God. Attending three services a week, all five are growing in the word, developing strong relationships, and being discipled by a patient pastor and compassionate church family. The three little boys now have a home that is being built upon Christ, and a daddy and a mommy who are discovering biblical principles of marriage and family that they never would have learned in any other institution. Scene five, a year has passed. Dad and mom have been enlisted as youth workers. A loving youth pastor has led them through a training course. 
They've adopted new standards of living that they might be a godly example to the youth of the church. The training provided more than equipped youth workers. It provided a biblical framework of family and child rearing that dad and mom adopted in the home as well. The principles proved effective with their own three sons. In short order, dad is selected to teach the senior high teen class. As a result, he becomes an avid Bible student. What he learns, he lives. What he lives, he begins to pass on to three boys watching ever so carefully. He pushes the pause button. He says, hold that still frame in your mind. The story continues, but we'll stop here for just a moment. The little boys grow up, love and serve God. Daddy and mommy stay together, become happy grandpa and grandma to 15 third generation Christians. It's a wonderful story. But before we walk away, we must consider what principles are at play in this story. How did God take a rogue family and redeem them? How did his grace radically transform and reconcile these lives? What methods and resources did he use to produce such a wonderful and marvelous story of grace and glory? How did two young Christian parents lead their three long-haired boys to love and live for God well into their adult lives? And then he mentions these three biblical principles, and I'm not going to take time to go into them. I will mention them. Number one, First, Jesus loves, died for, and works through the local church ministry. Second, Jesus added an imperfect you to an imperfect church family as part of his perfect plan. Isn't that great? He took an imperfect you, put you in an imperfect church family, that would be Southwest Baptist Church and any other church for that matter. He took an imperfect you, put you in an imperfect church as part of his perfect plan. Third, when you embrace your local church family, everybody wins. Everybody wins. And how God uses everybody, even ladies who give out candy. Thank God for ladies and men who give out candy, right? He concludes with this statement. He says, you will not find a better investment of your life, your time, your energy, your money, your talents, or your resources. You will never in a million years, if you, re if you search the entire galaxy, find a better team with which to partner in bringing up your family in the ways of Christ than the local church. This is the pinnacle of perfect investment and growth opportunities, the family and the church. An investment into that which changes heart. It will change yours and your kids' hearts, and together God will use you to change others. How do I know? Why do I so confidently assert that the local church is God's plan for bringing searching hearts to Christ? How can I so passionately believe in the miracle of life change through the local church? Why do I know? 
that wise parents are partnering parents because I was there. The miracle happened to me. I was the oldest of those three long-haired little boys who are no longer lost. And if you think about how God has used, I believe, Carrie Smith to be a blessing and a help to so many, it's a marvelous story. And all began in a local church just like this one. You never know who God has brought through those doors that he could use. What ought we to do? Be passionate about the Lord. Passionate about souls. And persistent in discipling them to be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. And it won't happen in a week. It won't happen in a month. It won't happen in a year. It'll happen in a lifetime. And take your place, whether it's leading congregational singing, preaching, teaching, or handing out candy, or taking care of little boys, whatever it is, do your part. And watch how the the gospel ministry gains and maintains momentum. How about we do that into eternity? Father, we thank you for our church. I love this church, love the church ministry, love the opportunity for us to work and serve together. So many ways you have us serving together, dear God. Father, uh, maybe there's members here whose love for you has grown cold. I pray you might just rekindle it however you do that, dear God, through Bible reading, through time of prayer, through messages. Lord, would you just help them to have a love for you, to really focus on you And Lord, having focused on you, to have a real love for people that don't know you. Oh God, lift up our eyes unto the hills from which cometh our help. Our help comes from you. And Lord, I pray you'd lift up our eyes secondly unto the fields and see that they're wide unto harvest. Oh God, help us to see souls. So many today that pass through the foyer who are in the church service this morning, some back tonight, but so many that were here just this morning. Oh God, help us to love people because of the way you love people. You didn't give up on us. Help us not to give up on others. God, tonight, there are families that are barely making it. There are moms, maybe even single moms that are trying to raise kids or single dads in this metro area, oh God, help us to have a heart for them. So many uh, situations behind doors, oh God, would you help us? Oh God, would you help every family that's here to be real and sincere in their love for you? May there be no duplicity, oh God. God, would you help those that are coming to learn ministry here, anticipate their arrival this week. Pray, God, that you'd help us to be the church we ought to be, to serve you by serving others. Help us to strive together for the faith of the gospel, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.